Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. It is September 23rd, and we are well into what we're going to say fall because this morning it seems like there was a lot of leaf drop happening out there uh, just around the corner from me. Uh, there was a truck that was just parked away, and I kind of gave a little giggle. It looked like the entire tr- uh, tree had dropped its leaves on this. I, I wanted to stop and take a photo, but I think I would have blocked the traffic behind me. So it is happening. The transition, the colors are beautiful. And there are a few leaves on the ground. Just uh, give us a little bit of a rustle in the ground. It's not crisp yet, but it's still there. So it is. It has come. And the poem today is, At Last You've Come Again. There's an early morning stillness, a pure pastoral peace, A silence so consuming, it sedates and comforts me. Each sound so hushed and yielding, as if on tiptoes nature wakes, it whispers soft and gently that it's time to seize the day. The twirls and twitters of the early birds, the cricket's mesmerizing hum, the tickling of my eyelids by the timid, softer sun. I gaze outside my window and let the breeze caress my face, its chilling touch so welcoming that I swoon in its sweet embrace. The harsh, determined summer sun has grown weary and withdrawn, and a shy and temperate autumn sun arrives with the rosy dawn. It peeks through billowy cotton clouds and casts shadows everywhere. The earthy, musky sense of fall pervades the fresh, crisp air. I feel so full and more alive, no longer crushed by stifling heat. I need to commune with nature again, instead of making fast retreat. The pumpkins on my front porch stoop, the crimson russet leaves, hikes through dense piney woods upon paths that wend and weave. Hay rides through the farmer fields, cuddled by the fireside, eating candy by the five-pound bag while taking a scenic drive. All those classic horror movies that helped create the atmosphere for the ghosts and ghouls of Halloween to come to once again appear. I can feel my heart so filled with thrills, it's like I'm born again. The only thought that cramps my style is that, too, it will, too, quickly end. But hail to the brilliant season of fall, the most perfect time to me, immersed in her colors, aromas, and scares. It's all right. I'm where I long to be. Welcome back, everyone. It is a fall, cloudy day, but let's take the day and enjoy it. There's lots that can be done in the garden and in the community around us. We're going to go right to the lines. Esther is waiting. Good morning, Esther. Good morning. Good morning. And where are you calling from this morning? Dencross. From where? Dencross. North of Ozer. North of Well, I think you're our first person from Dencross. Welcome. (laughs) Okay. Okay. 
Mike, the Mike product. I've used it otherwise, but now when I plan on moving trees when they're going to be dormant, can I still use the Mike? Yes, you can. You can still use Mike uh, product when you're transplanting and moving. And sometimes even uh, I've even used it on some occasions where something has been pre-existing in an area. Oh. But yeah, it's um, some people might not know what Mike is. It's not Mike your buddy. It's Mike yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, um, if we let everyone know, Mike is a product that is generated that has, um, I'm going to say, energy or mycorrhizals that help with the encouragement of root development that's on there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good product. There is another product on the mar- market, too, that's called Root Rescue. And um, it does, it acts very much like Mike, but it actually mm-hmm. has, it actually has more enhanced additives and nutrients for root growth too as well so that one works well for existing trees that need that extra boost that are already planted it's okay hence hence the name root rescue it's uh okay yeah so they're good encouragements to get the roots because um in in retrospect i think we've talked about foundations of of plants and it's just like a foundation of a home we mm-hmm. need a good. We need a good concrete basement built to support the upper growth, and in mm-hmm. in plants and trees, we need good root development to sustain and hold the growth above. Okay, second question here. I have roses that have offshoots now that I would like to move, but they don't lose their leaves till almost winter. Can I take them earlier without? Yeah. Yeah, you can. Like in some places, and I know what you mean because I have one rose. It's a it's an old Jean Cabot rose that never seems to leave drop its leaves at all. Yeah. And um, but yes, you can, and that's a good thing that you mentioned that Esther because um, this is the season where in some t- in some cases with roses we see large growth growth growing straight up. And it seems like one huge branch just keep going straight up. Those are mm-hmm. water shoots. Mm-hmm. So those water oh. shoots can be trimmed. Yeah. It's called but a water shoot. Yeah, they're they blooming. They're still blooming. Yeah. Well, if they're still blooming, there's still a little time. I would probably give it, maybe give it another, because the forecast is still, we're supposed to be nice for the next yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah. But uh, if you can hold off a couple of weeks, then that's good. But if you really have to do it, um, Make sure whenever you're doing your transplanting, harvesting, and lifting, I always like to prepare my hole in advance. And, okay. Uh, so less transition out of the hole um, mm-hmm. time frame. And use some of your mic product to encourage that root growth and also Good. to maintain watering uh, so that mm-hmm. it enters into the area. Okay? Very good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for calling. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. This is the time of season, and it's like mid-September. What do we do? It is almost second gardening season because this is the time where we say, yes, grab your cup of tea or coffee in the morning, go and assess your yard, see where areas are uh, needing uh, assistance, where you're going to see, like just like Esther, she needs to prune these back and maybe do some moving. So it's creating that work schedule that's in your uh, garden diary. So, and then you're able to see when you planted it, what the weather was like at that time frame, and make little notes. I love garden diaries. I love b- 
beautiful notebooks too as well and documenting what happens when from year to year it kind of gives you that back frame that you can um, turn the pages backwards see how things are going and compare year to year that's what gardeners did there's a history with that and I know a lot of growers will do that too week to week to week what needs to be done we're into fall gardening and we're going to go right to the lines um Mary Ellen is there. Hi, Mary Ellen. Good morning, Carla. Good morning. And where are you calling from today? Minnesota. Minnesota? Yes, Minnesota with a K. Kin- and now where is Minnesota? It's um, up on the west side of Lake Manitoba. Wow. Okay. I have two locations on my pins to put in today. <laughs> That's good. Wonderful. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah, we listen every Saturday that we can. Oh, wonderful. Isn't gardening fun? It is, even if you're not really sure what you're doing. Well, you know what? There's trials and tribulations of everything. And if people try something and they're successful, I could just see them jumping in their garden going, I did it, I did it. <laughs> That's <laughs> true, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? And on the other side of it, if it is a little bit of a challenge, it just makes you stronger. Yeah, yeah. How can we help you this morning? Well, I've got this perennial garden in front of the house, and I have um, one, two, three, four or five shrubs that are doing really well, maybe too well, um, and I wondered what the best time to prune them is and how to prune them, and I can tell you what they are if that helps. Yeah, uh, it's important. Yeah, that's really good. Um, mentioned because certain shrubs and trees are depicted as to or under a demand of when to prune them. So that's important to know too. So if you know which ones they are, um, let's hear about them. Okay. So the first one is a nine bark. And when I bought these, I didn't know what I was doing. I just picked stuff that I thought, well, they're probably good for this climate. And some of them did really well and some didn't. But these are the ones that have thrived and the flowers are fine they're beautiful but these shrubs um have gotten quite not just tall but they're they're the way they look really good they don't look perfectly you know manicured they're they're kind of rustic looking so the first one is a nine bark and it's probably what do you think four feet high now and then i've got a barberry which hasn't really gotten very big but it looks healthy Okay. And then a cotoneaster, which has gotten tall and bushy and looks good. And then a couple potentillas. And then spirea and some kind of snowball that I pruned wrong, apparently, and it didn't bloom at all this summer. Okay. Well, that happens. That happens. Um, okay. So with the category of shrubs, you don't have any in here. Um, with the snowball, you probably pruned in the spring. Yeah. And we cut the... The, the buds off. So you have to sort of be careful with that. Um, most of the ones that you have through here can be pruned in the fall. So that gives you the security of knowing that these, if I prune in the fall, I have no maintenance to do and everything will be fine in the spring. Okay. Okay. So some of these guys too, depending when you're thinking that some have gotten really big and some have gotten small and they're not as big, just remember the spacing that's required for a shrub to grow. They will give you a time frame where some potentillas grow two feet tall, some will grow four feet tall. 
So it depends if you want them growing into each other or molding, giving that sort of condensed, like mixed garden, mm-hmm. that will work. But if you want to bring them back um, to some shape so they're not touching each other, the rule of thumb is you can take one third off the size of the, the shrub or the tree. Oh, okay. Okay, so if it's four feet tall, one third of four, four feet, so a foot and a half, if that's what you want to do. Okay. Okay, so that's at the extreme point of it. Like I know I have a, I have a lilac tree, um, an old-fashioned Meyer lilac that's supposed to go about six feet tall, and I'm only five foot and I have a hard time, and it's seven, almost seven feet wide. I don't know why, it's because I keep shearing it. And I frequently have to ask my son to come over and go, hello, I need the, I can shear the sides, but the top, it looks kind of like this weird arrangement because the top branches get tight. <laughs> so with lilacs, if anyone's listening for lilacs, you have to prune them uh, in the uh, right after they bloom. So if you did not do that this year, right after they bloom, then you're, if you do them in the fall, you're going to cut off your, your blooms, Okay. All of your categories of your one, uh, you can take one-third of them off. If your barberry isn't getting as full, they're a little bit slower growing. Um, If it's not getting as big as what you're thinking, uh, maybe just do a very tip cutting on it so that you encourage more branches and thickening and widening of that one. Okay. And maybe the barberry isn't getting as big because take a look at your design style because if my nine bark overshadows my barberry. The barberry is a full sun plant. It loves being in the full sun baking hot. So it could be stunting it a little bit. Okay? Okay. But in the on the other side of it, if you like it petite and you like it in that area just as a pop and you want to keep it shorter, yeah. just for that contrasting color. Yeah. Hey, that works in the landscape because you've de- if you've designed it that way for that purpose, then it works. Okay? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it pretty much designed itself, but I really like how it worked out. Yeah, which Barbary is it? There's a bunch of different Barbaries that are out there. It's called Concord. It's a dark purple. Oh, yeah. It's very pretty. Yeah. Very pretty. Yeah, and it's nice when you can get that burgundy color at the front of the border and a little bit lower down, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love using contrasting colors of trees and shrubs in the garden because it gives you that fl- uh, fluidity, and when you mix it with colored perennials happening it's just like a win-win yeah 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 and your potentillas um what color are they they're both yellow both yellows okay and i got them from different places one was a gift and it's bigger and it's it's pretty shaggy looking but it's growing out quite a bit okay just follow your rule with trimming that one too eh oh potentillas um I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to say that they're a weed, but they they grow very well, and they too. If you put them in a sunnier location, and they will tolerate our clay, they will tolerate droughtness when established. Um, you can trim those back quite aggressive, and they do best with regular trimming because it keeps the density, it prevents them from getting overgrown and sort of opening, have that central open uh, floppiness that's on there. Okay. Okay. I have one more question. Sure. I have a clump of ornamental grass. I got two kinds, and one died the second year, but this other clump is doing good. But 
and I kind of go in with my fingers and pull up all the, you know, they just kind of come away, the dead pieces. But yep. What am I supposed to do with that in the fall? Okay. Um, I'm going to put a star right beside the conversation that I write things down, but I kind of want to hit here. And that was on my list today. So ornamental grasses. We have two trains of thoughts. Some people like to clean up their gardens, get everything crisp and clean so that they have less work to do in the spring. My thoughts with ornamental grasses is we are a sea of white and the ornamental grasses have a tendency to add to the design element of your landscape by using the foliage and the seed heads that are on there. So if you don't want to clean up, do everything else and leave those up for winter effect in the following spring, as soon as you can get out and remove those blades of grass and the old seed heads down to about a three to four inch tufting that's on there and remove the foliage. If you leave it too late, you will see that you'll get the emergence of the new blades that coming through that old tuffing and you may be cutting off the nice green new growth. So get out as early as you can, clean it up in the spring. Or if you don't want the winter effect and you want it cleaned up, you can remove them in the fall. But as you see and as the clumps of grasses start to develop, you'll see that it gets very thick in there. So getting in there with a good pair of, um, if you have gardening gloves that are not cloth, but have a little bit of a rubber texture to them that you can really grab hold and pull out some of that older tufting that's in there, that's beneficial because it's going to open things up a little bit. Okay, that was my next question. How do I remove that? Because that's what I've been doing is just kind of pulling in the ones that give way easily. But okay, that's good to know for, for spring. Yeah, and at some point, some of those ornamental grasses, if they get to, like I have a few clumps that are just waiting and looking at me each fall for the last year and a half, saying, okay, I'm 10 years old, I might need benefit from a little bit of uh, splitting and dividing. Okay. Okay, because when you re-energize certain perennials at a time frame, they will re-energize and perform better. Okay. Okay? Yep. All right. Have fun with your gardening. Thank you very much, Carla. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for calling in. You bet. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to go right to the lines again. Delmar is waiting. Good morning, Delmar. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question about potato wireworms. I have a severe infestation of potato wireworms in my garden. What can I do to control them? Oh, wow. Have they gone through... Everything? No, I, I I just I just discovered them a couple of weeks ago. Oh my gosh! Okay, so af, if you can do for that's in there, um, do you use coffee grounds in your mix or anything that's on there? No. Okay, because no. that sometimes is an attraction that's on through there. Um, if you can plant your potatoes, try and plant them in the later portion of spring rather than early. Okay, and then yeah. if you have any, um, I know that some people have used um, like beetle traps or, or that kind of stuff that you can use. And also, too, if you can, um, there's a limitations on so many products that we can use. But if you can try using uh, some of the diatomaceous earth around your crops and plant some or place some of that in there. Yes. Okay, so if you can try and do that, okay, because... Um, 
there is limited. And I will question too, um, like I say, sometimes I'm not fully knowledgeable. Now I'm, I'm, I'm not totally on that. Those are the things I would do, but I'm going to confer with my business partner. I always say I like to grow it and he likes to kill it because he's an old, uh, an older ag guy that used to be with Greenleaf. So he knows all these different types of uh, products or if the product's not available, what there is that can use. But I know diatomaceous earth using uh, beetle traps and then plant, trying to plant it a little bit later than in the season that you can do. Uh, those mm-hmm. may be uh, more effective. I know in large crops or large areas when you're doing larger fields of them, um, there has been a case where um, to avoid planting in certain areas where other crops have pre-existed. Like if there's been alfalfa close by or if there's been uh, clover in areas, uh, try avoid some of those areas for when you're planting your potatoes. Do you okay. know any? Do you know that method? Uh, I see this on that you put a stick through a potato, cut a potato in half, and put a stick through it and bury it for a couple of days. That attracts uh, the larvae. Do you know anything about that? No, I don't know about that. But um, that may work because sometimes some larvae, and if you look at how um, decaying matter works. Once you start getting some decaying matter that's in there, it seems like bugs are attracted to that because, A, if it's a potato that's been weakened, or if in some cases if a plant's been weakened, it's almost like a dinner bell to, to come in that area. So the rationale, like, you know, um, mm-hmm. there, is a, there is that show that says, is it plausible or can it be happening or is it's untested? So it sounds like it might be plausible that it would work. Well, I tried uh, a couple of days ago. I did that. And I think I buried about five potatoes and one of them did have larvae on them. Oh, wow. Okay, you buried it with the stick? You, you, you put a stick through the potato, cut the potato in half. Yeah. You put a stick through it, and then they say to bury it, about an, cover it with about an inch. So then you know where the potato is, eh? Yeah. And then, you, and then you bring it up, and then that attracts the larvae, and you can get rid of it. Well, thank you. I, you know what? If people are listening, then that's something that they can try. But to me, naturally, that would be kind of like that's in there. Because I know when I used to compost, I'd put compost in there. And then when you're stirring it around, you see all these little creatures that are attracted to your compost that right. you never thought were there before. Right? So, yes. yeah. So I think you got something there, Delmar. Well, okay. Okay. Thank you for the information. Well, thank you. Okay. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks. Goodbye. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to go right back to the lines. We have Barry waiting. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Carla. I'm calling from Steinbach, and I have a question about the fertility of my garden. Okay. It, uh, It looked rather anemic this summer, I thought. Let me tell you how I try to maintain fertility in my garden. Um, I cut my lawn really long all summer long. I do not pick up the grass. I let it drop. And then when the leaves are on the, on the ground, as they are now, I put my bagger on and I start picking up grass and leaves together. I put that in a pile and I water it to try to do a fast job of, of uh, composting. Uh, and I leave it for the winter. Of course, it doesn't heat all winter. It heats really well in fall, uh, but it doesn't heat through the winter. It freezes. And then in 
In spring, I might add some more water and stir it again until I need to distribute it in the garden in order to till my garden, to work it in. So at that point, the the pile of leaves and grass are uh, partially composted, not completely. It looks kind of, uh, it's brown and it's sticky, but it's not black and, and fine and granular like good compost should be. So I work it in anyway with my tiller, and then I plant my garden. I have read or heard that that it takes nitrogen to to uh, break down organic matter in the soil. And I'm wondering if I'm putting too much organic matter in my soil, uh, and, and hence my corn looks yellow, and, and generally my garden looks a little bit anemic. Is that a plausible theory? Um, that could be a plausible theory. Now, is the soil, I don't know what the soil uh, medium is like in your location. Is it clay-based, or are you um, a little bit more on that edge of where we get a little bit more sandier out that way? My my garden soil is, is I would say, a nice mix. Uh, it's probably been hauled in uh, when, okay. when the property was developed. It, it has a, a good tilt to it. It's not, it's not chunky or, or hard to manage at all. Okay. All right. Because sometimes some soils, in, and because we are very, um, our soils have a tendency to revert to a very alkaline uh capacity that's in there uh, the soils that we do get still are a little bit more alkaline and a lot of the plants that we do grow um, there's that acidic table that we kind of remember from high school uh, that shows the acidic from 0 to 14 with 7 as being quite um, sort of that neutrality area okay. but most most um, sorry here <clears throat> most uh, plants like that slightly acidic content tent that's in there you know if we're a little bit below that number seven level into that most plants like that and by adding certain compositions of it we have a tendency even naturally our own soils will revert to that clay area that's why we're always uh, supplementing with more acidic content uh, properties that are in there like uh, if you're adding any uh, type because you don't have acidic content with grass clippings or with leaf clippings. Right. We we need to get um, and when you have a a lower pH on it, that's that acidic content, which helps to bring with the greenery effect on plants. So that's how do it. I increase the acidic content? You can increase it by uh, you can add peat moss to your garden. Okay. Uh, peat moss is very acidic that's on there. You can add uh, if you have compost if you're going to do some composting. Uh, and probably if you could do a cycle of a couple years just to get a little bit more cooked in areas that's on it. Uh, if you have droppings of evergreen needles or cedar dropping, like cedar drops, right. uh, you know, cedars always naturally shed some of that. Right. You can add sort of elements into that that's on it. So what, should, what should the pH ideally be in my garden? Uh, it depends on what you're growing. If you're at 6.2, 6.5, in through there, slightly lower. Okay. And some plants even like to go like 5.8 or 5.9, you know. Okay, okay. And um, I always find, too, that in the interim, if you've got the property to do composting in that area, uh, if you have a larger pile, it seems they will, if the larger the pile, it will stay warmer longer, even right. in the wintertime. Right. Because that inner core stays warm, right? Right. Um, adding that in the interim, for some of your shrubs and pre- if there's perennials or shrubs in other areas, um, adding a little bit. Now, don't go to the 
other side and the other extreme by adding manures. Uh, you can add manure into there, which has a slightly more um, that ureic and acidic content. That's to it too as well. Okay. okay? But well composted manure. Okay, because yeah. there is the extreme where, um, in some cases. Uh, I've heard stories where people have come in and say, yeah, I just went and got a whole bunch of manure and put it in. That could cause burning. So the manure has yeah. to be composted. Right. Okay. Right. Is that, that's that gold, you know, that uh, black gold is, you know, I'm not talking oil, but I'm talking in the gardening world, yes. black oil is really rich compost. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so and I'm talking about a vegetable garden. This is not a flower garden. This is strictly yeah. my vegetable garden. Yep. So I should be aiming at somewhere between, a pH somewhere between 6 and 7 probably. I yes. have a little meter that apparently measures that. Yeah, if you're between 6 and 7, uh, there's not a lot of plants that like that al- alkalinity that's really, really high. And okay. watch too, because sometimes um, if you're watering with well water, um, there is an effect that you can get also uh, if your well water is a slightly more uh, saline, because a lot of times if you have a measurement on your water content, sometimes if you're slightly saline, that will cause yellowing on plants too as well. They won't okay. have that crispness or, or deep green effect that's on there. Okay, I, okay? Use, uh, I use city water when I water the garden. Okay, all right. Well, that's good. That's good. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that's interesting and helpful. Thank you, Carla. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you for calling in. And thank you for listening. Oh, you're welcome. Have okay. Day. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. There are so many different things about gardening, and now that fall is here, it is the second season of gardening, and um, I I was away last show, sorry, I was away on business down in Houston, that's where I think I got the ex- excessive heat of Houston, and then coming back, uh, going into cold air conditioning. I, You know what, I should have just stayed in my warm greenhouses here, but... The second seasoning of gardening is where we're looking at our trees or shrubs, looking for those tulip bulbs and alliums and getting excited to be back in the garden. And yes, it's sweater we- sweater weather. Say that 10 times over. So you can cuddle in your swe- sweater weather and do a little bit of gardening. Let's go right to lines. Hel- Helen is waiting. Good morning, Helen. Good morning, Carla. How are you? I'm well, thank you. That's How good. can we help you today? Okay, I I purchased a perennial hibiscus in in the spring at a garden center. Okay. And and they said to bring it in in the fall, so I brought it in and put it in a pot and it's losing its leaves. Okay. So, I don't know whether it's what's happening for sure or what I should do with it for overwinter. Okay. So it's a perennial hibiscus? That's what they, I was told at the greenhouse. And it was okay. only about 7 like about seven inches tall, and it did flower, very small flowers. Okay. But I was hoping to keep it over and, you know, eventually get bigger and, yeah. yeah. Okay. We, there are hibiscus plants that are tropicals, and then there mm-hmm. are hibiscus um, perennials, but mm-hmm. some of the perennial hibiscus are not totally in our zone. They could be a zone mm-hmm. four, mm-hmm. and they could be a zone five. Um, did you have the na- do you have the name of the variety of hibiscus? Uh, no, I don't. But she was she did tell me it was a perennial and to bring okay. it in in the fall. So that's yeah. Okay. Well, most perennials like to be in a, a they go into a dormancy state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, I know that we we have sold perennial zone fours and zone fives perennials, but we know intrinsically we are a hardy zone three that mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. say that comes back each year, but. 
saying that, there are a lot of people that have a very good microclimate, and the microclimate is basically a very sheltered location in which they are able to plant plants with without mm-hmm, further mm-hmm. than the boundaries of what they are able to plant zone fours and zone fives with the success of them coming back mm-hmm. in their gardens. With well, yours, if it is a perennial hibiscus and if it is a zone four or zone five, perennials will not necessarily do as good in a home unless mm-hmm. you put it into that dormancy state. So it's, is that maybe what it's doing? Because it's losing its leaves. Yes, it's it's losing its leaves. So it is in a shutdown mode. And it's yes. almost like um, when we get our bare root hibiscus that is hardy, we mm-hmm. get it in a root form. So we get it when it's been chilled from, yes. mm-hmm. um, you know, uh-huh. from our suppliers in a chilled form. So if it is a perennial hibiscus, like I said, perennials do not do well in houses growing as a, a, a perennial no, okay. when they're in our okay. zone threes and fours. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. need to go into shutdown. So after it's dropped its leaves, uh, you want to be able to store that rooting system in a, a very cool location. Mm-hmm. As cold as you can get, that's without on Without freezing. Yeah, well, without I freezing. put it in the garage. We keep it just above freezing. Yeah, you can but keep it in the garage. it's not dark. I'll have to maybe cover it with something to keep I, it dark. Yeah, I would keep it dark. Uh, that's on it because mm-hmm. you know our I, our perennials are going. Okay, we've worked a long time. We're going to yes. go to bed now. So they like the darkness and the you know we give them that blanket of winter snow just to keep them nice and uh, mm-hmm. um, refrigerated in that. But mm-hmm. try and keep it uh, some moisture on it. Let it go slightly dry in between, mm-hmm. and just check it every now and then that it's not going moldy or that stuff on. Mm-hmm. Or if you have um, if you have a little bit of Bordeaux. Uh, spray or something if you can uh, or bordeaux powder uh, put a little bit on top of that to prevent molding okay okay bordeaux i never heard of that one yeah it's bordeaux okay okay, okay. okay. yeah okay well so but there's not a bulb there like such as it's not a bulb with this the hi- it, it's hi- probably planted from seed i would think it's going to be from a root and the roots are quite healthy okay, uh, if good. you dig down if it's perennial one it almost looks like uh, a group of of almost like a um, not specifically like a dahlia, but they're going to be okay, uh, uh, like yes. like dahlias, mm-hmm, but they mm-hmm. they don't have the the wiggly little accents that are on mm-hmm, there. It's mm-hmm, going to be a firm, mm-hmm. radiated one. Okay. Yeah. Well, I wondered whether to just throw it out, but I think I'll try and save it for another no. year. I, I'm hoping because I try really it. like hibiscus. So yeah, I'll try it. Try it. Okay, try thank it. You, and thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. okay. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye bye. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to Helen next spring when she when she calls us back and says it's growing shoots from the bottom. That's what we want to hear, Helen. Okay. So yeah. So I'll take it out. Of, yeah. Next spring, I'll take it out of the pot and see what's happening. And okay, yeah, I'm going to give you. So. Okay, I'm going to give it a little hint because when spring happens, I I sometimes flip back and look at who called me the year before. Mm-hmm. So when spring does happen, mm-hmm. and you start to go through hibiscus are notoriously late bloomers they oh. take for they they're like hostas you know when you think mm-hmm. the hostas mm-hmm. dead in the garden mm-hmm. well they are the last ones like hostas that will poke their little noses out to say okay i can grow now because we know that hibiscus hibiscus tropicals mm-hmm. they love hawaii well, well yes, it's yeah we all do beautiful right? down uh, there yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even even our hardy as hardy as a hibiscus that we can get, even a zone four, if it's planted in the garden, it takes forever 
forever oh. to break from those uh, to break from those uh, roots to perform new growth. Okay. 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 All right. Well, I'll try it. Thank you very much. So the other hibiscus we see growing in people's homes. Those are uh, different, like with the big flowers. I was just down in southern Ontario, and my sister has one, but it was in a pot, and she brings it in in the fall, and and it's just beautiful. Like it just keeps flowering and flowering. That is so. that is a that is a uh, probably a zone eight to zone yeah, ten. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's Texas, Hawaii, <laughs> and uh, they they love they love that. They don't go through necessarily a little bit of a well. They probably do. You know, if they have a cool day <laughs> and. I don't know what's a cool day in, in in Texas or a cool day in yeah. Hawaii, but uh, they they will take that transition to a mm-hmm. home atmosphere. Whereas mm-hmm. hardier ones that go into zone three, zone two, three, four, mm-hmm. they need they need that rest. Yes, they do. They yeah. need that rest. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very very welcome. Yeah, thank okay. you for calling. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye bye. You're welcome. Okay, before we take a message, I'm just going to get a little bit of shout-out. Here at uh, St. Mary's Nursery, we do a little bit of sharing. And uh, if you've heard one of the ads that we have running right now, we are sharing our community with a bunch of local crafters. So if you're in our area, the next three Saturdays from 10 to 3.30 p.m., we have invited some local crafters in so they can have a little bit of space in our greenhouses we're sharing space and creating a community. So if you want to stop by on a rainy day, we'd be happy to see you. Golden West Radio. And now here's Carla to wrap up the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening from everywhere from Kinnesota to Steinbeck and well beyond south. We'll be back next weekend on the Lawn Garden Journal. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>